0: latest batch of listener questions on today's show we're looking at the unused potential of Julian Alvarez we're turning our attention to the USWNT's World Cup prep and we're creating a Crest Super League which is soccer related not toothpaste related my name's Ryan Bailey joining me today a man who loves Super Leagues as much as Rebecca from Ted Lasso, Taylor Rockwell, a reference you get, yay, nay?
2: A a reference I get. I don't think I could speak as eloquently or as passionately against them. I also don't think I could see billionaires as children. None of these are probably making much sense if you haven't seen the most recent season of Ted Lasso. But yes, she and I share a certain antipathy for the Super League, for sure.
0: You do indeed. And then you're inexplicably covered in food after you make your big (laughs) speech. Good editing. Wonderful stuff. Uh, Another Ted Lasso reference for you out there. listening if you haven't seen last week's. I liked it. I liked it, too. They're all good, Tay-Tay. They're all good. Another Dude, one tell Reddit that.
2: One. Reddit this season is, uh, is angry. They're very mad about this season That's of just Ted me.
0: Lasso. Yeah, that's just uh, a one-man assault from the uh, Reddit confines. We we'll we uh, we'll deal with that later. Joining us though, Taylor, a man who's been busy grading every single MLS team on Major League soccer.com Joe Larry, I prefer to call it Major League soccer.com rather than MLSsoccer.com.
1: Thank you. I think you're you're more than welcome to do that, Ryan. It feels right. It feels good. Yeah, I typed out 29 teams earlier this week. I felt like my wrist needed a genuine break after putting that piece together. Uh, I think I gave Charlotte a C. Ryan, did that feel yep. fair to you? How did you feel about that?
0: C is for Charlotte. That works for me very well. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> completely fair. C average. C average, baby. I'll take that's that.
1: Actually, that's actually how I did it for every club. I just picked the first letter. I, surprisingly, the editors never caught on, even with like the N's and some of the P's later on. That just like didn't even phase them.
0: Wow. Well, we, well, th- this is the Lowry grading system. So you, you it just, is. You just do you. You do by the
2: system. You die by the system. I have an important update for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you type MLSsoccer.com, dot com, you will go to MLSsoccer.com. dot com. If you type major dot you will go to MLSsoccer.com. dot com. And if you type. Major League Soccer, soccer.com. You will go to MLSsoccer.com. They've done some good domain redirecting uh, yeah. over there. They've Just got it can't all grab the
1: white whale. They just can't <laughs> grab the white whale. <laughs> that's,
0: that's, why, that's why i call it Major League Soccer, soccer.com. That's what I prefer to type when I go to my Yoruba. That's, un,
1: that's unreal. That's, that's unreal. That's really perfectly right reasonable.
0: Uh, I don't want to end up on some housing website, which I think it is now. Is that what MLS yeah, does? Yeah. I mean, it, MLS, I think that's what it's MLS. been. MLS. Yeah, they have.
2: Slightly more uh, money behind them, I think, does the, the multi-something <laughs> system, whatever it is. A yeah. L-
0: lot of brick and mortar. A lot of brick and mortar indeed. Joining us, rounding out the packet man whose voice you've already heard, he's launching a brand new weekly soccer newsletter, which sounds Yay. absolutely brilliant. Graham Ruthven. hello, tell us about your lovely little project.
3: Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yeah, so I started a newsletter called The Soccer Dispatch because there aren't enough newsletters out there. Uh, I'm just content at this point. I'm I'm not even sure if I'm a a human person anymore. But basically, the the idea is um, one interesting story about football every week. It could be about anything. So the first one will be about uh, Fabio Grosso and the former Italian World Cup winners making their way in management. Next week's one is about the African Super League which has been delayed and delayed and now Saudi Arabia is trying to get involved. Yay. Good for that. Uh, so I want the, the staple to be stories that you might have seen something vague about, but don't really know much detail behind. That's kind of what I'm going for. And the first newsletter will be sent on Thursday and every Thursday after that. So you can subscribe at the thesoccerdispatch.substack.com. I'm grateful to everyone who has already subscribed and it would be great to see some more of you in there.
1: Yeah. So first of all, everybody should subscribe to this because it sounds cool. It sounds great. Grim, how are you how are you gonna pick your topics? Like for, for listeners who don't uh, get to see the full inner workings of TSS, Graham was like this constant idea generator. Big thing, soccer one oh one. Grand Graham's this, AI. Like, Graham's Graham, AI. Yeah, Graham might be <laughs> AI. Grim, do you just have this list that you pull from? How how are you coming up with concepts for your newsletter? Uh, I'm not sure I have an answer for that. Just fair,
3: browsing fair. the interwebs and then like favoriting tweets and putting them into a list. I do have like a big Google Doc of ideas that there I keep and it, like rolling every day and I'll add new things to it if I hear something on a podcast that's interesting. Like the Japanese player they were talking about last week or two weeks ago, the 56 year old, they heard that on a podcast, added that to the list. So I, I guess it's just kind of curating my own ideas list and then picking the best ones from that.
0: That's great. I actually used to keep a, a rolling Google Live doc when they used to let me write about soccer as well. Very good, Graham. Um, I saw that Wes Anderson is trending as we record, I presume because uh, yeah. the folks out there presume that the Soccer Dispatch is the sequel to the French Dispatch. Is that right?
3: So, true story, I am a massive Wes Anderson fan, and the title of the, of the newsletter is, is inspired by uh, the Wes Anderson film. So
0: Knew it! Indeed. Yes, I hope the design is... Lovely and it looks pleasing in every single frame of your newsletter, Graham. We look forward to it. It's
3: quite a high standard that Wes Anderson has say set. I'm not sure I'll be able to meet that, hey, but I'll hey. I'll try and make it look nice and pretty.
0: You can do it, bud. You can do it. We believe oh, in Oh thanks. You. And we're looking forward to seeing that newsletter. Listen, yeah. if it's something else you want to pay for, patreon.com slash total soccer show <laughs> is where we are for all our extra content as well. Lots of bonus episodes, we have bonus videos. I, for example, am going to the Copper Italia final after we record, and I'll do a video there, par exemple. Uh, Plenty to find there. Do check us out. Also, access to our Discord, where all the cool kids hang out. Shall we get to some listener questions, Taylor? What say you? I say yay. Yay! F-Dog! F-Dog has been in touch, Taylor. (laughs) F-Dog has been in touch. Love F-Dog. Yep. Um, If Julian Alvarez, who F-Dog calls Jay Alvarez F-Dog, Jay Alvarez If Julian Alvarez was City's first choice striker How many goals would he have scored this season? Would City still win the league and be in line for a treble? Taylor, it's a difficult question when you are pitting him against a goal machine Who has scored many, many, many goals en route to a treble But you have to think that the system could Well, a different kind of system for Man City could work with Alvarez at the top His style is different, maybe a bit more like his idol Sergio Aguero, for example. That went okay when they had him up top, right?
2: It did. It did. And I have some answers to this or some answers that I'm mostly comfortable with. But having had a couple instances over the last week or so in which I say a thing and then I look at Joe Lowry... Look at me with squinty eyes because he has his own <laughs> thoughts on it. I, I will first ask Joe this question: resting Joe face. Yes, exactly. <laughs> nobody, nobody RJF. wants to see Joe face. Everyone suffers <laughs> from it.
0: <that>. RJF. <laughs>
2: Joe, we we've talked at, at various points, and we're going to talk about City again later in the week uh, about that shift to like the three box three or the three two two three, and how that seems to have gotten the best out of Erling Haaland. Do you feel like that was a switch that Erling Haaland necessitated? Do you think that mm. happened because he was there? Or do you think that would have happened regardless? This informs
1: my answer, but I kind of want to start there. I, I genuinely don't know the answer mm-hmm. to that question. I think this that's a my very confusion. good question. I, I My confusion in, in answering is somewhat based on the fact that we have seen City play that shape before. Like That's not a new Manchester City thing. Maybe how... They're getting into that shape mm-hmm. and using certain players in different roles and how they're actually executing within that shape. Those things might be different and probably are different, but we've seen that shape before. So I would lean towards as I'm talking this out that it, it's not all about Erling Holland, mm-hmm. but I I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I, I and I
2: think that's where I am with it as well. And but it does feel a bit. We can go Ted Lasso again. Like they changed up the style, maybe not mid season, but they were sort of building towards this system that is now turn them into basically a juggernaut. I, I think even if they had done that with uh, Julian Alvarez, I don't think they do it as effectively. I think they still win the league. I think there is a sliding doors moment in which things go horribly wrong and maybe they have to try different people as the striker or go with a false nine again or something like that. But I think it's equally or more likely that they would have been strong enough to kind of play through any difficulties and still win the title. So I think they still win the league. I think it's less likely they're in line for a treble because I think there's other teams that could have tripped them up without having to overly focus on Erling Holland. And I do think that's what some defenses have done. So I think they win the league. I don't know if they win the treble. And I think Julian Alvarez scores, I think I had it around 30 goals in all competitions. Uh, Erling Holland has 52 goals in three. Uh, 3,700 or so minutes. That's one goal every 72 minutes. Julian Alvarez, by contrast, one goal every 148 minutes. I think that would have tightened up a bit if he were getting more reps more consistently, but I don't think he comes close to the 52 goals that Erling
0: Holland has gotten this year. I think that's fair. Graham, the F Dog needs your opinion on this one.
3: So I took a slightly more rudimentary approach um, in terms of trying to work out a, a, a number. So this season, Alvarez has scored a Premier League goal every 148 minutes. And then if we look at how many minutes Haaland has played this season, he's at 2,689 minutes in the Premier League. So my logic was to use Haaland's minutes and Alvarez's ratio to get a number, and that number was 18, which is double what Alvarez has now. He's got nine Premier League goals. It's not a perfect equation because some of Alvarez's minutes have come as a secondary striker or out wide and also there's the tactical discussion of whether City would have played a different way if Alvarez was their number 9 But even still, um, I kind of agree with Taylor. He'd be some way off Haaland's number of 36 because everyone in history has been some way off that number. But I still think it would be something impressive. So I'll I'll go with around about the 20 goal mark. And actually, if you look through some of the games that Alvarez has started as the number nine, I mean, he started against Liverpool on the 1st of April in the Premier League. That was a game that Man City uh, won 4-1. And he played as the number nine in a system that looks, at least on paper, I can't remember intricately how that match went, but on paper looks like the system that they have used with Haaland, with the back three, stones in midfield, and then that kind of advanced midfield four with Alvarez as the number nine. So that kind of suggests that he has it in his capacity to kind of be plug and play, not in terms of his profile and the way he plays similarly to Haaland, but in terms of the tactical system, you could put him in as a number nine and it would work reasonably well.
0: Uh, Treble or no treble, Graham?
3: See, the thing is, City are always kind of in, in play for a treble, aren't they? Like, last year, they were two <laughs> matches away from a treble, and that was when they didn't have a number nine at all. So, yes, they're obviously better with Haaland, and, and the way that they have integrated him has has actually made City more complete in my eyes, which I, I didn't fully expect. I thought Haaland would actually have the opposite effect, where teams would be able to get at man. City. And we saw that in the first half of the season. But yeah, Alvarez is an exceptional player who is maybe a, a bit more of an orthodox Guardiola striker. Yeah. I think they would still be, look, I don't know whether they would win a treble because we can't say for certain that City are going to win a treble this season. They still need to win two two finals. They're two biggest games of the season. They still need to win. But City are kind of in play for a treble every season. So I, I, I wouldn't expect much of a drop-off.
1: Yeah, I think generally speaking, City would still be in a pretty good spot for all of these trophies. It, it's impossible to say, right? But you figure Alvarez, Graham, I did the same math that you did, like gets the 17 or 18 goals. Other players around Alvarez fill in all some the of the gap. Math. Yeah, i pretty <laughs> sure. Yeah. Fill in some of the same gap. And so maybe you've got De Bruyne scoring a couple extra. You've got Silva and Marez and Grealish, et cetera. Like you get those guys scoring a couple extra goal each. And maybe you're not terribly worse off in the attack. I think you would be worse off, right? I, I think we're all agreed on that as well. But my thought is, you'd still have a very good season even without Haaland. You probably start faster in some ways because Alvarez fits yeah. the, the regular human mold in, in a way that Erling Haaland <laughs> doesn't. And so you start a little bit quicker. You don't reach the same ceiling. Like you don't get to the same heights. But maybe that consistency and an earlier lead in the Premier League, or at least not trailing Arsenal, would be enough to at least get you over the line in the league. Um,
0: I have a fun question for you all. A stat I found out this week. Do you know the last time Manchester City weren't a favourite in a game they played? You can guess
1: me a year. Wow. A 20... has to... 2017. I'm going to say 2017.
3: Mm, what about the season Liverpool were kind of
0: runaway Premier League title winners? What was that? 2020. 2020. They're... 1920. 1920. <laughs> 1920. 19 slash 20. Taylor, any any ideas?
2: I feel like you knew that oh, one very quickly, 19, so 20, I'm going to say, good one, uh, yeah, the, 19, the roaring 20s or uh, 2020,
0: yeah. The correct answer, uh, Joseph has the correct answer, it was 2017, would you like to <laughs> guess go. when or what competition it was, Joe? Um,
1: 2017, well, I'm looking at the table right now and they won the league by 19 points that year, so I'm going to guess it was not Champions in the Premier League, league. Yeah. I have no recollection of who they played in the Champions League that season, did they play Real Madrid? Mon- Monaco was 2016,
3: 2017 would have been Spurs. They got knocked out by Spurs 2017. It was no, surely th- they were
1: favored against Spurs. I'll, I'll give you the answer. They it's got knocked pr- out by Monaco. Yeah.
0: yeah. It, it, the, 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 the answer is wild. It was a group stage game at Napoli, which they won wow. 4-2
1: November 2017. Wow. Good stat, right? That's a great stat, Ryan. Good
3: poll. I like that yeah, a lot.
0: There we go. There we also
3: go. makes me quite sad though that like Man City <laughs> are just favourites for every single game they play yeah. in a whole season, and kind of the var- the variance just isn't there, and the joy when they win everything isn't really there. I don't it's, know. Maybe that's just. It surprised
0: me, Graham, that that Liverpool season they were not favourites, at least in one yeah. or two of those Liverpool games. Yeah, as as you say, but
2: hey, is they that, were. Is that just like I mean, there is justification for it, obviously, with the successes they have had. That also feels. Like an easy an easy one if you're a bookmaker of just like, make Man City the favorite. If you make them the underdog, everyone's going to bet on them immediately. Yes. So you're, you're like never going to make money that way, but people will be less likely to take them as the favorite, I feel like, even though they are always the favorite. I just can't imagine that there hasn't been a game in which there was a team more likely to win in that time period, especially yeah. in the Champions League. Th- that, but, Taylor, that's I think exactly, you just um, you
1: just successfully described how bookmakers think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bet- bet- that's bet- exactly price- what it bet-
0: is. pricing is exactly that. They just sit back and go, yeah, let's make Man City favorite, and yeah. they all go for lunch. Yep, that's it. I mean, yeah.
2: I mean really, because I think if you're a neutral, even if you know the most minimal amount, of, amount about football, you're going to look at Man City, you're going to hear about Man City and think, yeah, Man City, PSG, I'll bet on them every single time. And one of those would be a smarter bet than the other one.
0: mm Indeed. Uh, well, it's snack time. Uh, grab your animal crackers and your juice box. We'll be back with more listener questions after this quick break.
1: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com
2: courtside to learn more.
0: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions Dan Harner's been in touch Given Ivan Tony, shall we say Ryan Bailey'd his way out of football (laughs) For eight months (laughs) Love this (laughs) We'll come back to that
1: that's so good.
0: What are your thoughts on the fit and feasibility of Balogun to Brentford for next year? Finance may be concerned. Is it a loan move? Would he work well in the Bees' setup? Thanks all. First of all, Dan, you painted me there as a bit of a problem gambler. Uh, I'm not sure I appreciate their reputation, but uh, hey, uh, I hope I'm not banned from TSS if I talk about betting odds on one more time I've already, I've already mentioned betting in, in the A block in this, in this show
2: just only, only if you're betting on scuffed when, whenever we meet in our podcast crossovers that, then, then you're betting on your own performances and I don't like
3: it see cool. I thought the reference was how, how Ryan Bailey's calling card is on a Thursday to go oh by the way I'm off next week and Ivan Tony has done that <laughs> and just said oh by the way I'm off for the next eight months <laughs>
0: like to travel what can I say I'm a man of the world Graham anyway uh, Graham we'll come to you Florian Baligan would he work in the Brentford setup? Is he of the calibre necessary for a top nine Premier League team? So I hadn't
3: considered this until now, but Balogun actually feels like a very Brentford signing. So yeah. they have a, they have a good track record of looking in foreign leagues for young players. They did that with Scotland's very own Aaron Hickey last summer. They've done it with a number of Scandinavians. Obviously, uh, they've got the links with with Denmark, and a number of players have come over from there as well. And I actually think Balogun would be a good fit for Brentford. He he doesn't he obviously doesn't have the physical frame that that Tony has, but Brentford are really strong in transition, and that's where Balogun does his best work, or at least that's where we've what we've seen from him in France this season. Maybe there's more to his game, but that is how Rem have, have kind of played this season. They have the average attacking speed of 1.9 meters per second, which as of a few weeks ago when I found this in an article, makes them the the fastest attacking team in league. 1. Do you know who are the fastest attacking team in the Premier League this season? That would be Brentford. Is it it Brentford, Graham? It it is indeed, (laughs) uh, Joe. So I... I think um, I, I think Tony's better at kind of being able to lump a ball up to him and just playing off him. I think he has a little bit of that like Victor Osman quality or even Erling Haaland quality about him, and, and I don't think Balogun has that. And I'm not sure his physical frame will ever allow him to be that player. But I could see him working well at Brentford in their system. So that that is a, a very good shout in my opinion, both from a, a tactical point of view and also the profile of player that Brentford tend to go for in the, in the transfer market.
1: So I have a question about that because, Graham, I agree with all your thoughts on the tactical side. From a USMNT standpoint, I like this move in some ways because it's a higher level. Like the Premier League is a better league than Ligue 1. I think Balogun needs to test himself. It doesn't have to be in the Premier League, but in a in a top four league in Europe rather than a top five league, that's the next natural step, and I'm sure we'll see that. I, I like the tactical notes that you, you got to there, Graham. Both Reims and Brentford like to attack in and, attack and transition. They're very direct and vertical, and Balogun's had a lot of success doing that. Ivan Tony being out does open a window. And so all these things make sense. You mentioned you know, it being quite a Brentford-like signing. I think Dan's very smart uh, to point out in his question that financially there could be some difficulties. The, yep. the record transfer fee, incoming fee for Brentford that they've ever paid is 19 million euros. Like Balogun would be significantly more than that if they were to Arsenal, buy him from
2: Arsenal. I think Arsenal have said they want the estimates are around forty million pounds. Yeah, I would right? be
1: shocked if it drops lower than that. I mean, this guy's twenty one years old, has scored a bunch of. I believe he scored his twentieth goal of the the league season over the weekend. Like twenty one year old young dynamic striker. In this, in this economy, it's going to be at least 40 million euros. <laughs> this economy? So, I, I, Grim, do you see that as being an obstacle? Because I, I think Dan's absolutely right. I, I have a hard time imagining the financials working out on this. Graham, Some actually... Pay.
2: Do you mind if on I go- jump in through there with yeah, a little bit go- of... Because yep. I, I, I saw some reports from earlier in the season linking Brentford with Balogun that that would be a move that they would be really interested in. The difference was that was when it was still expected that Ivan Tony would be sold this summer. And so I think a lot mm-hmm. of those links were Ivan Tony will be sold for 50, 60, 70, whatever it will be. Right. And then you have that money to spend on Balogun if he does go for 30 or 40 million. Uh, now that... They are not going to sell Ivan Toni or are very much less likely to do so. The latest reports I saw felt much more in line with what you're talking about, Joe. It was Armanda Broja from Chelsea, if he can make that comeback. Uh, Victor Giocares and Habib Giallo. Uh, One of those is from Coventry City. One of them is from Strasbourg. That feels much more in line with what they tend to do when they sell Oli Watkins for thirty million or whatever it was, they buy Ivan Tony for five million. So it does seem like they will probably go with somebody less established or less likely to cost them a ton of money so that they can invest elsewhere. I still hope they don't. I still hope they loan Balogun, but that was sort of where I was coming from with this one. Sorry, Graham, to jump in.
3: So just to go back to Joe, what you've read as Balgan's reported price for forty million pounds is what is what you read. Right? I think now Taylor I mean. said
1: that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I Taylor, you that said number.
3: that. Yeah, that see was... that that is that is more than I would have expected. Not that I think Balgan couldn't be worth £40 million. But if I look through some of the players that Brentford have signed, you know, Mikkel Damsgaard comes from Sampdoria to Brentford for £15 million, and that's after a Euros where he's one of the best players in in that tournament. If I also look at some of the players that Arsenal have sold, and look, I know this isn't a perfect comparison because this is a player in a completely different position, but Joe Willock going to Newcastle United, he goes for £29 million in 2021. At that time, Joe Willock is... In a relatively similar place to Balogun in terms of his place at Arsenal, yes, he was at Arsenal. He didn't go out on loan, or he wasn't in loan in his, on loan his, in his final season. Um, but nonetheless, he was a, a very talented young player. He didn't go for forty million, so I guess forty million could price Brentford out of that market. Yeah. I think if, my hunch tells me if, if Arsenal get forty million pounds for for Balogun as well as he's done this season, that that's a yeah. kind of a good deal for them. Like yeah. that, that feels like they've matched his value out at this point. But yeah, I, I, I everything besides the money, <laughs> which is obviously a key point. This this feels like it'd be a good move for
1: Balotelli. I I agree with I agree with that. I I would pretty aggressively push back on some of those comparisons that you made, Graham. I, I think they're interesting data points, but the Domsgard one in particular, like he scored two goals ever for Sampdoria in Syria. Like that's that's not the same. You go to the Euros and you perform a, a, a well, but not like. You're not helping Denmark win a trophy in that particular competition. It, Doing that in Syria versus scoring 20 goals at, at 20 years old in Ligue 1 doesn't yeah, feel so like that, a. Reasonable if I'm playing comparison. devil's advocate,
3: the final thing you said there in Ligue 1 that instantly
1: compresses a player's value. Whether that yeah. is fair or not, it does. I think that's I think that's partially true, and I think in some ways it should right because Ligue 1. We've talked about this on a listener question show before. Is very clearly the the fifth. Best league in Europe. Like it is absolutely behind the other four major European leagues that get looped into the big five. At the same time, I think as far as leagues that have developed a reputation for providing a platform for young players to go and, and succeed and develop and then be sold for a lot of money, Liga has done a very good job of that. Like if you're going to look for young talent, Liga has become like the spot that you look at if you're those other leagues, especially the Premier League. You know, we've seen players move for 80 million. I know Chiomeni is a, a different level player and, and, and they're now playing for a different level club. And we're not talking about Balogun going to Real Madrid, but like these guys are moving for 50, 60, 70, 80 million. I, I would be pretty surprised if Balogun goes for anywhere near what Brentford have spent on a player before. Yeah.
2: I, I, think, I think maybe somewhere in between, like maybe 30 or high 20s is, is where. I wouldn't be surprised if something happens with the sell-on fee or right a first refusal just because it doesn't seem like he is going to be in contention to start for Arsenal or be near the first team. And so I think that does... Knock down the value a little bit. It's not as though he's a player who has had the success as he has had in League One, which he has. Uh, but then going back to Arsenal to be in that starting eleven or near the starting eleven, and now you're having to spend that extra money to pry him away. My question then becomes: Why is it a foregone conclusion that Balogun won't play for Arsenal? Because it does seem to be that that's the case. That all the reporting is: Where will he go? Will it be on loan? Will it be a permanent transfer? He doesn't fit at Arsenal. Arsenal have too many attacking options, and. I think if there's anything we've seen this season is that they could have used more depth, and a young striker who's scoring goals feels like something they could use. Do any of you all have thoughts on why he wouldn't stay at Arsenal or why that wouldn't be a good idea?
3: Well, it might not be an ideal scenario for for him. I mean, Arsenal might want to keep him around to have him as a, as a good depth option. I think he's more than capable of being that player for, for mm-hmm. Arsenal. But if he's behind Jesus and Eddie Nketiah and Gabriel Martinelli can play centrally Should as well... Should he be behind he, Eddie Nketiah, though? Like... Was
2: anybody? It doesn't seem like any anybody at Arsenal was truly impressed with Enketia this season.
3: He did. I thought he did a decent job when yeah, he came same. in and deputised for Gabriel Jesus. And look, I, this is a difficult discussion to have because I, I don't know how much value I put on when I'm comparing that what Balgin and Enketia have done this season. You know, Nketiah coming into a title challenging team at the top of the Premier League and doing a reasonable job is. Does that make him worth more or less than? a young player going to Liga and then scoring 20 goals in a season. I, I don't, I don't know how to have that discussion, but I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't find it unreasonable if Balogun was ahead of Inketia in the pecking order, but he's still below Martinelli and uh, Jesus and all yeah. those guys, so I don't know what sort of game time he's, he's getting, because Eddie Nketiah only got game time this season because Gabriel Jesus was out injured for a few months. So the solution here is
2: Eddie Nketiah goes on loan to Ligon, and then uh, Balogun stays this year, they switch roles, and then we see who's better at the end of the season. I think we've solved it. Yeah, sure, <laughs> uh, and also for anybody who was curious, uh, when Joe was preparing to push back, there was indeed resting Joe face uh, just there, a moment <laughs> ago. So we we have another sighting of that
0: big RJF moment. Uh-huh, it is uh-huh. Wonderful to see. Um, in terms of a loan move, I can't imagine Arsenal wanting to loan him to a London rival rather than keeping him on the continent as well. And for the record. Transfermarked has him at 25 million euro. Nope. So, nope and we all nope, know uh, transfermarkt nope. values are just Je like Zillow's estimates. No. They're very, very accurate at all times.
1: <laughs> um. We don't have to do this anymore. Yeah.
0: Okay, let's move on from that. Thank you, Dan, <laughs> for that question. Ben Sundstrom has been in touch. What happened to Owen Otosowi? Daryl's once-favorite Wolves-slash-USMNT-scouting-network prospect seems to be in dire straits. Taylor, mm-hmm. uh, Otosowi hasn't played a lot of games, it Correct. seems. Uh, not on, <laughs> and he's on the books at um, Club Rouge Is currently. he? <laughs> I, well, he's somewhere on a book, maybe in an appendices
1: somewhere.
2: Yes. I think the obvious place to start here is with his transfer marked valuation and go through the history of I've that. I've got a I thing <laughs> to go to. I, I just
1: remembered and I have this thing that I absolutely have to be at right now.
2: <laughs> so Owen Otosowi, I won't do that to you, Joe. Uh, Owen Otosowi, f- f- for those who haven't you. followed young players since 2017, uh, he is a young uh, uh, USMNT-eligible player. Uh, joined Wolves Academy in July of 2017 uh, as a defensive central midfielder, a holding midfielder, and was one of those, he could be the next big thing, he could break through and be a Premier League Starter for Wolverhampton, Daryl was very excited. Daryl, uh, a life a lifelong Wolves fan, and then a a convert to the USMNT. I think they ticked a lot of boxes for him. So there was a lot of hype around him, uh, and then he ends up getting a move to Club Brugge. Along the way, he gets a few appearances for Wolves. The biggest one being uh, a late-season, last-minute opportunity. He misses a relative sitter. He heads it wide. Uh, And that, that still was seen from a lot of the message boards I was reading as a like, a, again, a sliding doors moment of what could have happened if he had scored that, if he'd buried it, if he had led Wolves to a win there, does he stick around? But the other points about that moment were that when he misses it, it is at the very end of the game. No one picks him up. No one consoles him. Everyone walks away from him and just sort of leaves him on the pitch. And the consensus seems to be that even back then, there were attitude and professionalism problems that were keeping him from sort of achieving his potential. He sold to Brugge uh, for €4 million in August of 2021. Uh, He has had four different managers in that time, uh, and in the course of uh, those events has twice just sort of gone AWOL from the club. He comes back uh, at one point, is rededicated, is fully fit, but the manager says he's going to have to prove himself. And he goes AWOL again this season. Um, They, to the point where they stopped paying him because he hasn't been showing up and hasn't been training. They didn't know where he was. At various points, it seems like he had decided not to play football, but instead become a male model. Uh, And maybe that's where he is now. He's still only 22. He turned 22 in January. So there's still time and potentially potential for him to turn it around and come back and have a career but that seems less and less likely and especially with some of those underlying causes of his lack of playing time it seems like that is a very tricky road to navigate at this point
3: yeah so that's a player that I I do remember Otisowi breaking through it at Wolves and I'll be honest since then I'd kind of completely forgotten about him and when I when I looked through What he's done since then, I think I could be forgiven for all the reasons that you've just detailed there, Taylor. He hasn't played much at all. But I kind of get the sense we're not getting the full story. There's something else here. I found a report from last summer about him having personal issues. Now, that could be something to do with his attitude. It could be him just falling out of love with soccer. It could be something in his family life. Um, But I do get the sense that something hasn't been publicised. I mean, his... His Instagram page is completely scrubbed, and if he's pursuing a career as a male model, feels like that wouldn't be optimal for a male model to not have any kind of social media presence. I, I don't know. It's just a. It's a it not seems like a little furry, bit of a miss. <laughs> yeah, true. It feels like there's. Um, it it feels like there's something missing that would explain a lot of what's happened.
0: It's it's quite a. Interesting position to be in. I'm not going to be a soccer player. I'm going to be a male model. Do you think it's going to be Rockstar next? It's going to be all the all the favorable. Astronaut. Ast- astronaut, of course. That's the next in the career path. Joe, anything to add on this one?
1: Not really. Graham and Taylor have done a good job. I remember Otisowi. I remember him making his debut for the US. And I think it was the same game that Yunus Musa did back in 2020 in November against Wales. Like I remember that stuff. He was raw then. We haven't seen him make a lot of progress on the soccer side. It, it seems like we can sort of just check back in irregularly as we've been doing now. And, and maybe he won't be playing in a year. I don't know.
0: All right. Thank you, Ben, for that question. Let's go to Shreya Shramani. Shreya says, we haven't talked about the U S women's team too much since their last round of friendlies, but about two months out from their first world cup match. How are some of the key members of the squad doing with their club teams this season? Uh, first game for the US of course, is against Vietnam on July 22nd in Auckland. Uh the US group games are all in uh the home of New Zealand's fourth most popular folk comedy duo, uh New Zealand. Flight of Concords reference for you there, Joe. Show sure you definitely watched. <laughs> yep. um, and You should watch it, it's good. It's, it's hard to believe that this is all part of Shreas's question. This isn't Ryan just <laughs> rambling. This is
2: in the question.
0: It's really long question. I'll get to the end of it shortly. Um Joe, update us, please, on USWNT and the domestic progress. I saw on the headlines just today that Katerina Macario has confirmed yep. she will not be playing uh, due to still recovering from the ACL injury.
1: Yeah, that's easily the biggest bit of news it was expected, but Macario put out a, a, a post on social media yesterday that basically said it, just not physically able to play for the country, and that's brutal. Like, Katerina Macario, I think, was the, the one player who could really almost fix Vlatko's lack of tactical acumen on the fly a little bit in that Vlatko has not really ever set the U.S. up successfully to to play against a low block and do a good job. They have a talent advantage over all but maybe four or five teams in the world, and so a lot of the cracks get papered over with that. But the U.S. will eventually come up against a good team in this competition, even if it might not be for a while, and we've talked about that before. The bracket is very favorable for the U.S. women's national team, which is, is good for them. Uh, But Macario is a player who can operate in tight spaces, who can combine and and be just a lethal attacking threat on the ball, off the ball, pull players around with her movement. She's so good. The U.S. will really miss her at this tournament. Having that blow after losing Mallory Swanson last month is... It's pretty crappy. Again, mostly expected with Macario, but it hurts still to see it. That is a, a huge, huge loss for the U.S. So I, I know Shreya said key members. I kind of just did like everyone. So I'm going to try to go through quickly and, and hope hey that Joe, this is helpful. Yeah, go ahead, Taylor. I would really like you to do that. I have one
2: question from what yeah. you've already said so far. When you talked about Macario being the one that can sort of make up for some of those tactical deficiencies... Would you have said that about Julie Ertz before she returned to playing? Because she was the one that I feel like we also talked a lot about how to make up for her and her absence, and now she is likely to be back does she make you feel better at all or is it really Macario and then a bit of a gap and then Julie Ertz
1: no Ertz Ertz makes me feel a lot better Uh, I would put those two players on pretty similar footing The, the thing with Macario is she helps you maximize your possession like she's gonna do all of the little subtle things that help you move the ball into good spots it might not lead to a goal every possession it won't lead to a goal every possession but she's gonna help you get into really valuable spaces what Ertz does is she doesn't really help you maximize your possession she helps you get more possessions. Like, Ertz is going to win you the ball, and so maybe you get 10 more possessions over the course of 90 minutes in the final third than you would have if it was Andy Sullivan back in the number six spot. And so, you know, Ertz isn't maybe always providing a ton of finesse, although she can ping a ball, and she can pass, and she can get into the box, and she can contribute in the attack, but she's the one that's going to help you get more time in attack per game, and is going to limit the opposition's chances. So, yeah, she's huge in a different way than Macario, of course, but, yeah, another... Really big ones. So I'll move through these players quickly and then we can hit any questions or, or any other comments that, that Graham and Taylor or Ryan have. So goalkeeper, Alyssa Nayer has been up and down with Chicago this year in the NWSL, but mostly fine. The Red Stars are, are a dumpster fire. Honestly, without Mallory Swanson, she was the heart and soul of that team and they have more talent to be Doing better than they are right now, but they've been awful in the NWSL this year. Casey Murphy has been fine for North Carolina Courage so far this year. For the most part, they're going through a stylistic change that's much more possession-heavy. She's likely to be in the squad for the U.S. And then A.D. French, worst goalkeeper in the NWSL right now based on pure shot-stopping. She's probably not going to play at the World Cup, but I think she's going to be the number three I don't know. I have mixed feelings about that. There are other goalkeepers in the NWSL that I think have deserved more consistent looks for a while. Vlacko just hasn't been interested in doing that, and that's kind of where we're at right now. Center backs Becky Sauerbrunn has been out with a leg injury. As far as I can tell, she should be fine for the World Cup. It didn't seem like a major injury. She knows how to manage herself and her recovery. I'm not particularly worried about that right now. I'm also not sure that Becky Sauerbrunn, like, should be an every game starter at the World Cup because she doesn't run very well at this point. But Naomi Gurma's playing every game, Alana Cook is playing every game for the Wave and all Rain, respectively. Tierna Davidson has struggled some from what I've seen. Uh, hard because she's coming back from injury and because, again, the red stars are terrible. But that is something to watch to see if she makes the the squad. Fullbacks, I just picked out the the two main ones, at least in this position group. Crystal Dunn has been fantastic for the Thorns. She is tied for the leading scorer in the NWSL right now. Still playing in midfield. The Thorns are unreal. They're so good. Uh, She will almost certainly be at left back for the U.S. come the World Cup. I know that makes some people very angry. Uh, I know it makes other people less angry. Emily Fox has been very solid for North Carolina Courage. They're not creating a ton, and that's been a bit of an issue for them as they've shifted styles. But... You know, she's a reliable presence and is almost certainly going to be the starting right back for the U.S. at the World Cup, as she should be. In midfield, Taylor, you mentioned Julie Ertz. She's only played 262 minutes so far in the NWSL. Doesn't look all the way like herself yet from what I've seen, but she's playing. She's winning the ball more than the average uh, player, and I, I would expect that to continue as she gets back to fitness and and, and gets back to playing regularly. Lindsay Horan, not in the NWSL. She is still on loan with Lyon from the Thorns, expected now to stay with them for next season. That came out over the weekend, I believe right after they won the league title over in France. So they've had some success domestically. Lindsay Horan is is pretty much, as far as I can tell, the same player she's been for the U.S. in recent games. Not very mobile. uh, At at times is, is maybe not the best passer. But, you know, it's still super technical on the ball, can be a threat in the box, and is likely to play a big role for the U.S. Rose Lavelle has only played two games this entire season in the NWSL. She's currently out with an injury that appears to be the one she picked up last month that kept her out of the second friendly against Ireland. I'm not totally sure about that, but this quote from Laura Harvey, who manages her with the O.L. Reign, I believe this is from Harvey. She said, she was really on track to be back, then she had a little bit of a setback. I would love her to be on the field tomorrow tomorrow. I don't think that's going to happen. I hope we get to see her before the World Cup, but honestly, right now, I don't know. That's the full quote from Laura Harvey. So that is a situation to monitor and absolutely does not sound great. One expected World Cup starter that might not be fit in time for the World Cup. Andy Sullivan is an every-game starter, looks the same for the spirit. Ashley Sanchez is playing, pretty much looks the same and that she's brilliant in some moments and frustrating in others. Uh, Christy Mewis is starting for Gotham. And Savannah DeMello can't get a look for the U.S. Women's National Team, and it makes me angry. Almost done. I know I've been talking for a long time. In the winger group, Mallory Swanson is hurt. Very sad, can't replace her. Big bummer, like genuinely, that that's really bad for the U.S. Sophia Smith is totally dominating for the Portland Thorns, playing much more centrally. She plays more as a striker than as a winger, but she's she's been unreal this season. Probably the best player in the league. I'm not sure how close it is now that Mallory Swanson is injured. Trinity Rodman has been excellent for the spirit, goals, and assists, which I think is massive because... If you can't replace Mallory Swanson's goal threat, you know, infusing a little bit of creativity and finesse into the attack, which is what Rodman brings, is important, especially given that Macario now is injured and, and unavailable. So Rodman, I think, is going to play a big role for the U.S. in in the World Cup. I wrote as much for ESPN earlier this week. Megan Rapinoe doesn't look like the same player. She's 37 now. This could probably be in the squad, but expected to not play a huge role on the field. Lynn Williams has been unreal for Gotham. She's their leading scorer and tie for the league lead in goals in the NWSL. Amitra Purse has been out with an injury, hasn't played in a month. Alyssa Thompson's been good. Maybe not super consistent at this point, but she is making a real push for the World Cup squad. At the nine spot, I mentioned Macario's out. Ryan mentioned that as well. Alex Morgan has been good, but not great for this Diego wave. It kind of reflects how I've, I've viewed her recent U.S. Women's National Team performances. I, I don't love where we're at with the number 9 spot right now for the U.S. Ashley Hatch is, is probably going to be at the World Cup now that Macario's out. She's done some good stuff for the spirit, but has never really convinced me with the national team. So we'll see if that changes at the World Cup because, again, she's probably going to make it. I've talked for a long time. That's all the players I had. I think I think I'm done.
3: Joe, I'm going to set you up to talk for even more because I've got a question for you. <laughs> um, where what part of the squad do you think there is the biggest question mark over? Because obviously the, the World Cup's only eight, eight weeks away. I think it is today, eight weeks away. And over the last year, there have been certain questions about certain areas of the team. So, you yeah. know, the number number six spot, I remember talking about that. But then Julie Ertz has come back in, then the Swanson in, the Swanson injury. Now we've got Trinity Rodman doing really well, Lissa Thompson playing well, Sophia Smith. We've had discussions about the number nine spot as well with Macario and Morgan. Macario is now obviously out. So basically the point I'm getting to is things are starting to crystallize yeah. and things are starting to settle. Now we're getting close to the World Cup. What area of the team gives you the most concern now that we are now that it's
1: just on the horizon? It is It is the midfield for me. I, I have faith in Julie Ertz to be close to her past self. She won't be all the way there, but I, I think she will be a difference maker. But there is still a question about that. She hasn't played very much. You know, there There's time for her to continue to bet in, but that is that is a little bit of a question mark. Lindsay Horan, I, I've just not been especially impressed with. Maybe folks got that impression. I haven't been very impressed with her with the national team recently. She just doesn't move well at this point in her career, and that's It's a bit of a problem for me. And then Rose Lavelle being hurt and not being available. I think she's the the biggest impact number eight or or ten that the U.S. has. And her being unavailable and maybe not fit for the World Cup. You know, there's still eight weeks, but only eight weeks until that tournament actually starts. So I I don't know how to feel about that. And then the fact that the other players around them, Ashley Sanchez, I think can be a difference maker, but hasn't been all the way there. Andy Sullivan, I don't think is, is someone that really should be starting for the U.S. at this point in her career. Christy Mewis is is fine, a very good NWSL player, but not a difference maker at the international level. I have concerns about that part of the field. I've got concerns about other places as well, but I think on the whole, how that midfield group comes together and whether or not they can try to help the U.S. manufacture some chances against teams that are are actually close to on par with the United States in terms of talent and have a, a real game plan, that's not something that I'm all the way confident about heading into the World Cup.
2: Joe, can you talk a little more about Lindsey Horan for a moment and those mobility issues or the uh, the lack of movement or not moving well?
1: Yeah, I, every time I've watched her, especially for the U.S., and I think you see some of this at club level, it just doesn't seem like she is particularly able to, to change directions quickly. It doesn't seem like she really moves all that quickly with or without the ball. I, I don't know that that's necessarily like a a, a massive problem for the U.S., but it doesn't help them, right? At 28, she's had some knee injuries in the past. She's dealt with some some injuries. She's had some fitness issues in in that way. I think she's over prime Lindsay Horan at this point. I don't think she is able to impact games in the same way because while she's a good passer, she's not this incredible through ball threater. She her game is kind of built as I'll arrive in the box. I'll be a threat on set pieces. I'll, I'll be a late arriving runner. I'll drop into spaces. I'll maybe drop to the fullback spot and get on the ball and create. But Every time she slows down, the attack slows down. And the U.S. have a big problem with that in that they don't think they move the ball quickly enough. They settle for too many crosses. At times, it's not very pretty. And if Haran is, is gumming up the works even a little bit more, I, I think it, it limits the U.S.'s ceiling. So I, I much prefer for the U.S. seeing players like Laval and Sanchez start together in front of a, a dedicated number six. I probably wouldn't choose to start Haran. I think she's still going to be a starter for the U.S. at this tournament because Vlatko has, has never really deviated from that. But when I say that that Horan maybe doesn't have as, as much mobility as she has before, that's based on what I'm seeing and, and maybe some injuries that she's had in, in the last couple of years. You preempted my final question, but I'm going to ask it anyway just to get the
2: clari- clarity. Um the expectation for me is that we're going to be playing some teams that will be very defensive and try to sit deep and frustrate and then counter. Sounds like Lindsey Horan would not be the ideal midfielder to go with there. So is it Lavelle Sanchez with Ertz behind them as long as Ertz kind of continues to round into form in time? That's that's
1: what I would do. I don't think that's what Vlako is going to do at all. I think it yeah. will be if all of his preferred players are fit, he'll do... Ertz, and he'll do Horan as an 8, and he'll do Lavelle more as a 10. We've seen him shift more into a 4-2-3-1 in recent games. I I would be pretty surprised if that's not what it is, but Lavelle's injury and lack of fitness, there's still time, but that could throw a wrench into things that bumps Sanchez into the starting lineup or maybe even prompts Laco to bring someone who's outside the sphere like Savannah DeMello. I'm still not optimistic about that, but Horan wouldn't be my first pick. She can still bring value. Like, I want to be clear. She's still incredibly good and is a better midfielder than 95% of the other players that's going to be at the World Cup. But if we're talking about winning a World Cup in a, a single elimination kind of thing once you get out of the group stage, you want to maximize your ability to win these games. And at this point in her career, I'm not sure that Haran is is fully the player to do that. Also, I, I do want to be clear. Haran is not like the player that I think is is the worst player in the US squad or anything even close to that. I think she can still do a lot of good stuff. I guess she's just the one that that you know we ended up talking about more here. There are questions in other parts of the field as well. Haran's not the only one who should be catching flack, but on the whole think the u.s should feel good about where they are ahead of the world cup you know in as much as as you can with some of these major injuries because they're the united states and they're incredibly talented
3: puts lindsey Horan on joe's hate list alongside brendan <laughs> i don't know how that happened
0: yep i don't know how that happened <laughs> uh thank you very much joe for that comprehensive look at the uswt ahead of the world cup thank you sharius for the question quick break time when we come back a few more including our crest super league back shortly Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Peter Piper has been in touch. Peter Piper, good stuff. What's next for Raul Jimenez? Asked Peter Piper. He was one of the best number nines in the Premier League. Is there another Premier League club that could use his services or a different European club? Or does he go back to Mexico? What do we think? Uh, Graham, some controversy uh, in Wolves' most recent game. Lopetegli not giving him a start that would likely have been his final home game for Wolves last week. Yeah, I saw that. Didn't get his Jeff Buckley last goodbye, so um, not leaving happily from the Midlands, it seems.
3: No, it, yeah, it, it seems not. Um, Wolves, to be honest, there's there's a lot of stories about Wolves at the moment with uh, Lo potentially leaving as well at the end of the season. He's he's come out and said there might be some financial fair play issues that he wasn't informed of when he when he took the job. Obviously, not been there. Long so, Wilson in general not a particularly happy place right now. Even though they they are in the Premier League for another season, but you're right, Raúl Jiménez not getting his, his his farewell. He is leaving at the end of the season. He he really was one of the best number nines in the Premier League for a, for a time anyway. He he he. He was kind of an all-round centre-forward in that he could run in behind. He he could hold up the ball. He was good with his his head. He was um, very intelligent with space. He linked up well uh, with players around him as well. And then, obviously, he got that absolutely shocking head injury, um, which completely kind of knocked him out of his stride. Understandably so, because it was such a serious injury where, I mean, I don't want to uh, exaggerate, but from reading the reports at the time, there was a chance he might have died, like the damage done that wasn't completely out of the question that people have died from that injury before. So it's understandable that he hasn't been the same player since. It it, it kind of reminded me, a totally different injury, but it kind of reminded me of um, Eduardo da Silva, who was very good when he came to Arsenal in the Premier League and then he got that leg injury and he was just never the same player again after that. Now with Eduardo da Silva, maybe there's more of a, a physical element to why he wasn't the same player afterwards. Um, But Jimenez feels like he hasn't had the same intensity since then, maybe has, I don't know, got a little bit more perspective but I yeah. mean to be an elite level athlete you almost need a kind of inhuman obsession with being an elite level athlete and maybe he just doesn't have that anymore given what happened to him with the injury but he actually started 30 Premier League games last season which was slightly surprising to me when I looked back at some of his numbers I didn't I didn't think he played as much as that last season only 6 goals though last season and he's only started 7 league games this season um, and he's also 32 now so even if he hadn't had that injury it would be reasonable to expect there'd be some sort of drop off. I saw reports linking him with MLS and Club America and Liga Mekis as well. That kind of feels about right for him at this stage of his career. But in terms of MLS teams, I don't really have any suggestions. Maybe Joe has some suggestions. Yeah, or
1: Taylor posed this question to me before the show started. And, and my initial response is, I would be hesitant, right? If I'm if I'm any team trying to sign Roe Jimenez, has had a, a major and traumatic injury in his career doesn't seem to move nearly as well as he used to. He's 32 years old right now, which is very clearly past the prime for a striker who hasn't gone through some of the difficult injury and fitness issues that he has. So I would be extra sure to do my due diligence on this and make sure that we're using resources as wisely as possible. If you're confident and I haven't seen a ton of Raul Jimenez recently, but if you're confident that this guy can come in and help us, the team that I always come back to first in, in MLS right now, when it comes to a striker, really there's two teams, but the one that I think fits better for this is Natural SC, right? They just traded CJ Sapong to Toronto. They they have an open spot now in their front line. They have an open DP spot if they feel like, okay, we don't run a ton in our defensive shape. We, we try to keep things compact. He won't have a, a ton of line stretching to do. Our wingers will do that. Our fullbacks will do that. Yeah, he, he could be a decent fit if you're if you're sure about that. The other team that needs a nine that very obviously needs a nine is NYCFC, but they're they're not really doing that stuff anymore. Like they've been through that part of their their organizational cycle and, and they're done with that now. As far as I can tell anyway. So, you know, maybe Nashville is a destination, maybe, maybe somewhere in Ligamekis. I think that's probably close to his next spot though. I think you're right, Graham.
2: It's really strange to talk about a player that like was at his standing, as Graham said, was I think one of the most dangerous number nines in the league for a period of time. And now to be talking about a player who isn't a DP, maybe is like a TAM player, but I I think is one that an MLS team would be sort of rolling the dice on to see what happens. It's just, it it is a big drop off. I think that injury plays a massive part in it. Uh, And then there are multiple injuries after the fact, not related to the head injury. He has to wear the helmet for the rest of his life, but he's had. Knee injuries when he's playing, I should say. He's had knee injuries. He's had groin issues. uh, And it sounds to me like he is, I think, to Graham's point. Maybe it is just there are other things that are more important to him at this point. Uh, Lopategi discussing him in April. This was before he didn't give him that final farewell. He said, without wanting to criticize Rao Jimenez, uh, the greatest striker this club has seen since the days of Steve Bull, uh, there is a good reason he has not made the last two match day squads, like Ryan Aithnuri. The Mexican is one of the squad's more laid back individuals. There is no attitude problem. It is just that others are displaying greater intensity to their work right now. When Jimenez's days at this club are over, he should be remembered as a phenomenal focal point in an attack who played an integral part in the best Wolves team of the last 50 years. So nice words. But I think also saying he's not working all that hard. He's not really playing to the level we need him to be playing at. And I think it's worth remembering when we go back and remember those Nuno Wolves teams, because it was a promoted team that was beating big clubs and causing problems in the league that season, it's easy to remember them as this exciting, dynamic team. They are a very Mourinho team, or were a very Mourinho team. It was a lot of sit deep, frustrate, and counter really effectively. And Raul Jimenez was critical at that. He was he was key to that in staying high, holding the ball up, facilitating attacking play, scoring goals himself. I think under Bruno Lage and then under Julian Lopetegui, there has been more emphasis on keeping possession, on moving the ball and pressing at times, and I don't think that has played into that skill set that made him an elite striker for a period of time. So I think it's been sort of Having to do new things in his game while also recovering from multiple injuries, I think it just hasn't put him in a prime position. Joe, you also made the point. He's 32. This is also maybe a point where players start to age, start to slow down a little bit, start to look at other opportunities. So I think we're looking Mm -hmm. at a player, I think most likely is Liga Mekis, in my mind. Maybe it's MLS, but again, it's a roll of the dice and not a guarantee that he's even a starter.
3: Those uh, those Lopetegui quotes were nice, but had definitely been juiced up by a Wolves PR yeah, person. <laughs> yeah, the the club's greatest striker I mean, since Steve Bill. Lopetegui doesn't know who Steve Bill is. No,
2: and also, <laughs> especially you know that because every uh, perf- person from the Midlands I've ever heard talk about him calls him. I I always thought he was Steve Ball because of that accent. Until I saw it written out, and then I was like, it's Bull? I had no idea. So there's no way that uh, Lopategi wouldn't have said Steve Ball, and then we would have known for sure. That is also a full on compliment sandwich of the greatest striker. He doesn't work that hard, but he is an integral player, and he's amazing. Like, there was, I think, if you remove the sandwich part and just look at the meat, I think we're seeing why he hasn't
0: been playing. It it was very. um, a professional person on a Zoom meeting trying to describe someone being not very good. He's uh, he's, he's not got an attitude problem, but others have a better attitude. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like he's got an attitude problem <laughs> yeah. there, doesn't it? R- <laughs> and also Ryan Aitnori catching a
2: stray in there. <laughs> like <laughs> the two of them are very laid back and don't work that hard. It's like, oh, I didn't even ask about him, but now we know. Oh boy.
0: All right, Peter Piper, thank you for that question. We have one final question for this episode from Andrew McPherson. Here we go. His Excellency Gianni right. Infantino
2: he definitely makes people call him his excellency by the way i hope
0: so i hope so this has
3: been just up by his pr person
0: yeah yeah we'll be kissing the ring uh i sorry it's gonna take us off on too long of a tangent (laughs) go ahead it was about people
2: demanding to be called your excellency i've experienced that before and i laughed thinking they were joking they were not joking i learned that the hard way
0: uh, that's how I like to be addressed, Taylor. When we meet again, <laughs> I, know, I will insist I know, on it one I know, more time. I'm sorry. Anyway, His Excellency John Gian, Johnny has inexplicably asked you to create a 16-team tournament for European teams based solely on how awesome their crests are. All right, the teams can be any from any European country and level as long as they are fully professional. Which 16 teams make your tournament? I believe for um, ease of Division of Labour here. We've done four groups uh, for the 16 teams here. Graham, would you like to go first with your group of Graham?
3: Okay, so I love this question, and I consulted my big book of crests that I have in my office to find my four favourites. Nice. So starting that is the most with... ridiculous book that I am the least surprised that Graham owns. Is it called? Cool
0: <laughs> What's it called? I've
3: got two of them. <laughs> oh, of course you do. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but I'll post a picture of it in the All Discord right. or, or or something. So my first pick is the best badge in the Premier League, in my opinion. It's Nottingham Forest. Mm-hmm. I just think it is so distinctive. It's at odds with the sort of identical shield badges you tend to get in modern soccer. Like, every time there's a rebrand of a Premier League team, it's a circular badge because it works well on social media, like Man City or... There's been a couple others that have rebranded in, in, in that way. Nottingham Forest, nothing like that. So I love it. It definitely makes my tournament. My second pick... Looks like properly, uh, but go I- on. I- Ajax is my second pick. Oh my so they have this magnificent crest with the Greek he- hero... Do you say, The Greek hero is Ajax, it right? Is. That's how you say that. You don't say Ajax. But anyway, Ajax. Um, and it's also drawing drawn using just 11 lines to represent 11 players on the pitch. I love that. Nice. I also bought an Ajax shirt recently purely because it had this incredible old-style badge on it. So Ajax, um, not just a good team and an interesting club, good badge as well. Um, Hamburg heading across the, the border to Germany. Hamburg, the Hamburg bag, badge is amazing. I wouldn't even say it's a badge per se. It's it's like a flag, um, but it is so instantly recognisable. And then for my final pick, I have to go with the Scottish club, of course. And I think Aberdeen have the best badge in Scottish football, certainly amongst the professional teams. It's sort of similar to Forest's, for- Nottingham Forest's badge, Foresties badge that's difficult to say In that it sort of stands out as a little bit dated um but there's no other badge like it where the the A for Aberdeen is like the goal side on and then they put the ball in the middle of it it's both terrible and fantastic I love it
0: good stuff Graham some very unique picks there I'm not sure there's a narrative thread between all four of them but I like them all for the reasons you've outlined and you've just made me worry that Ajax are going to rebrand with like a an A at some point
3: no they? they can't they can't do that
0: they're going to take out Peter Piper, the aforementioned
3: Uh Yeah, I always think Greek it looks god. like a gnome on their badge, but apparently it's the Greek hero, Ajax.
0: Very good indeed. All right, Group of Graham has been established. Does Joe want to do the Group of Joe next?
1: Joe would love to do the Group of Joe and talk in the third person the entire time. Um, okay, get your phones out, people, because I'm going to have a hard time explaining some of these. It's just going to be easier if you look them up as I go through. Um, so uh, I don't know. That's what we're going with. Some of them you'll know, some of them you won't. The first one is Bari. Uh, Ryan, I don't know if you're familiar with oh, Bari. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. an Italian team in Serie B. That's a good one. They have a rooster on their badge, folks. And yeah, I like yeah. that quite a lot. So the badge is, it's the rooster on one side. It's a, it's like a big oval kind of in the shape of a surfboard almost. And you got the rooster on one side. You've got an all red with SSC, Bari, in white font on the other side. It is, it is easily my favorite of any badge that I found in doing the deep dive for this exercise. And I even did it it's, without a book called The Big Book of Badges. So <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that, I it's deserve like some a, credit.
3: It's like a logo for like a fast food peri peri restaurant. 100%,
1: or 100% or like a, a weird alcohol brand that is not really gonna catch on, but <laughs> uh, it's so great, I like it. Number two, I have Brentford because it's just a bee, guys. It's just a bee. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, apparently, I didn't know, everyone here probably already knows the, the Brentford nickname story. I, I'd never heard this before. So they're called the Bees because in apparently 1894. Who knows if this is true? 1894 was a long time ago. But back in 1894, according to legend, a group of Borough Road college students were at a game. They're supporting a, a one of their friends who's a Brentford player. And during the game, they use the the chant buck up bees. I would assume just because Brentford starts with a B. And hmm. somebody wrote it down as buck up bees, like the the bug. And so from then on, they've been the bees, which is just great. It's so good. I like animals on badges. And my third one has an when animal on this? the badge as well. What the, was this? 1894. That's what the internet told Oh, 1894. Great. Okay, 1894. that makes more sense. Back, back, back when, up bees? Back when bees were <laughs> <laughs> bugs, <laughs> apparently. Go on, Joe. Bees are <laughs> bugs, aren't they? <laughs> no, they're sure. bugs. They're 100% sure. bugs. They're absolutely yeah. bugs. Uh, sure. Okay, the next one is uh, Morkum. In League One right now in England, I did not know how to say this. I had to ask Ryan before we started. Uh, they have a giant shrimp on their logo. And I think that's the best thing of all time. They're called the shrimps. Ryan, I guess they have shrimp there. Like they're known for shrimp. Is the, that is the that shrimpers? True? The shrimpers. The shrimpers. Because they, oh, they the are collections of me. shrimp for okay. consumption. It's yeah. great. It's hilarious. Go look it up. They have a giant shrimp on the bottom of their badge. It's fantastic. And then the last one, no animal, just Real Madrid, big crown. It's pretty baller, right? Like having a giant crown with gemstones on the top of your logo. I feel like they're they're communicating what they want to communicate through that badge, as are the rest of the teams in Group Joe.
0: I like Group Joe a lot. I will say the only criticism I have is for Bari. Nope, not accepting it, just, it. It just looks like the Kelloggs... Uh chicken oh it is it's oh Kellogg's. that's unfortunate
1: you're t- you're totally right about that ryan yeah. um yeah i'm gonna pretend you didn't say that and just assume <laughs> that it's really good
3: cereal's good though uh, as you yeah. all learned I, in Britain. that's Brooklyn. true that's that true agree. graham way to go
0: but uh, also they wouldn't know that here because italians don't really eat cereal it's like a cigarette and a croissant basically <laughs> is how you do it here and a
3: little a little espresso and a little sparkling water yeah. do they do that in rome as well ryan? oh
0: yeah oh yeah and
3: we then, together i've seen that before yeah, so they have their, they have the their cup. coffee, and then they oh, have okay. yeah, two cups. They have a little cup a sip of espresso, then they have a little sip of sparkling water. Then
0: mm. they're Gross. all jacked up for the day. Good yeah. stuff. <laughs> uh, group of Taylor next or Group of Ryan next? Taylor, group of Ryan
2: next. The group uh, of Ryan here I'm, I'm scrambling because I've had a few of mine knocked out pretty quick. Oh, oh
0: sorry, dude. <laughs> it's okay. That's okay. You can justify your picks even if they're double E's. But here I go with a Group of Ryan. FC Cologne, Cologne are my first pick. Uh, They are nicknamed the Geisbecker, the Billy Goats, the Billy Goats, because on their crest they have a giant goat. His name is Henness. He is their mascot. Uh, Not only do they have a giant goat, he appears to be mounting a badge. (laughs) uh, He's climbing atop a Cologne... Uh, like it's a it's an image of the cathedral in cologne the twin spires of cologne he's just climbing on top of it i love that it's uh yeah that one i hope doesn't get a rebrand anytime soon so they're my german pick graham
3: i've been to cologne and that cathedral is huge so Mm. that goat i can't even imagine how big that goat is to be mounting the cathedral
0: yeah he's the goat goat uh yeah cologne um yeah smells fantastic there as well by the way Scunthorpe United is my next pick. Uh, Their badge just looks like no other soccer badge you've seen. It is an iron bar being grasped by a person's hand, and it is coloured in claret and blue. Uh, It uh, apparently signifies the town's relationship with the iron and steel industry. Um, The club's first choice colours are colour and blue That's why it's those colours Best of all, Scunthorpe, if you write it down Has the rudest word of all the rudest words Right in the middle of it (laughs) I enjoy that, but it's in their iconography as well Scunthorpe United, the iron The irons they are called Just like West Ham, funny enough Same colours too My next pick is Levante Uh, They were a joint pick with Valencia Because they basically have the same badge And they're in the same city But... but (laughs) <laughs> That's right, uh, but we're uh, <laughs> we're not big fans of Valencia right now, so I'm going with uh, with uh, Levante, which is uh, also inside the city of Valencia. As I say, big bat behind a blaugrana shield, so a blue and red shield with an old school soccer ball in the middle of it. Very similar to Valencia's, where the bat's kind of on the top, the Levante one, the back behind it. Uh, Why Valencia loves bats, let me tell you. It's not just because they are uh, big Heath Ledger fans or anything like that. According to legend, it was a bat that woke King Jean I and his soldiers at the exact moment the city was being attacked by their enemies. Ever since this day, the bat has become a sacred and important symbol for the people of Valencia, representing protection and acting as the city's main symbol. A bat as a symbol is pretty cool. Do you think they shine it up in the air occasionally when they need help? I hope they do.
3: That sounds like a tall tale that 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 kind of folk story. Mm. Why were you up and out of your bed? Off
0: bat woke me yeah. up. I don't know like. <laughs> It might it might have been a, a certain bat from everything well, what we do in the shadows. Uh you know, he's lived through that period presumably. Indeed. Yeah. Maybe a place in history. Final pick for me in the group of Ryan is Roma. My Hometown team of sorts. Uh, It's a very cool badge in Giallorossi colours, red and yellow. It features the 1927 inscription, the club's foundation, and most recognisably, it has Romulus and Remus suckling on the teeth of a she-wolf. Suckling on the teats of a she-wolf, not the teeth. That would be weird. Um, Of course, it illustrates. That's the weird part. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> having two kids suckling on a wolf on your badge no. it's objectively a weird thing taylor that's what um, i like about it so that
3: is why they're rebranding for next season and that badge is going
2: away oh, <laughs> oh, i'm, I'm sad
0: at will ryan that, yeah. ryan that was on my
2: list i that was my number one crest and then i saw oh. that you had it as well i love that one because I, I love it for the foundation of rome i also love the very nerdy alternate history which i heard in high school maybe this is completely incorrect but the translation for she-wolf and the translation for female sex worker uh, from Latin are apparently very, very similar. The words are very similar. And so there is another theory that that is who nursed uh, the twin brothers in real life. And then it's uh, become a she-wolf over time because that was more, I guess, socially acceptable. So an interesting idea there. But that is not why I love the Roma flag. I love it because the image is pretty iconic. So I'm with much you on that,
0: more- one, Ryan. Yeah, much more socially acceptable for abandoned children on the banks yes. of the Tiber to be drinking from a wolf <laughs> yes. than, a, than a person. And yeah, then commit fratricide. Yeah, yeah. It's a re- <laughs> it's
2: an interesting life, those two lived. Yeah. For sure, real lived as well.
0: In, indeed, yeah. <laughs> it's, it is a myth, of course, and uh, uh, it extends right into modern day because one of them became the successor to Logan Roy's media empire, of course. As <laughs> of we course, of course. all know. So that's my group. Tater, yeah. you're up.
2: Yeah, uh, a rough one because I had Ajax, I also had Nottingham Forest and Roma. Oh. So uh, yeah, three of my four <laughs> gone uh, pretty quickly. So I'm gonna make up some ground here. Uh, I'm gonna add Real Sociedad uh, to the mix. I love the old school football with the crown on top with the uh, the flag. Uh, of the region, kind of draped around them. It looks like it's all kind of cuddled together, and that's very sweet. I like that one quite a bit. Uh, I also like Raul Sociedad for their history and uh, culture. Uh, I would add to that one, I think Rangers. I think I just like the look of the Rangers one. I feel like that's going to make Graham very angry. I don't have Graham's face in front of me, uh yeah he looks annoyed uh so yeah i'm gonna throw that one in there now he's shaking his fist now it just feels like a joke (laughs) uh but yes I, i think the rangers one is just it's a very aesthetically pleasing one i like the color scheme uh there you go similarly i really think psg's crest is really clean and solid and i like the colors i just refuse to pick psg but i wanted to give them a shout so i've got sociedad i've got rangers i'm gonna add sm khan to to the to the list a club that maybe people won't be as familiar with and I had to look up the pronunciation for named after a seven, 17th century poet they made up for it by being nicknamed the vikings uh can you all here I'll send it to you all now so you can see just how like over the top this crest is but uh it makes me very happy it's a it's a bearded dude with a viking helmet uh he has the horns and everything so uh, I think that one's just pretty great it's the one that I would have chosen and then like a year later been like I I kind of wish I hadn't chosen this one but for now I'm going with that one. And my final one to round it out, I think I'll go Eintracht Frankfurt. I like the, the single eagle that dates back to, I think, like the 13th century. But I think any any crest that combines the history of the club and incorporates that, but also doesn't look like it was sort of done on Microsoft Ink or whatever, Microsoft Paint from like the 1980s, I think a few crests still have that look. Uh, I don't think the Eintracht Frankfurt one does, so I'll throw that one in too.
0: There we go. That is a solid uh, tournament there. Very good picks, guys. And we just know that Real Madrid are going to win it at the end, though. So uh, thanks for that pick, Joe. Graham, just an order of business. The Roma Crest thing has shook me. Uh, You sent a picture of presumably a mock up kit for next year with the wolf head outline. I think, I'm pretty sure they've used that like back in the 80s and the 70s as well.
3: Yeah. And they also used it on the last or this season's away shirt yeah. as like a secondary logo. But apparently that's going to be the new first choice, right. like home shirt logo. It's not as good. Why doesn't the wolf have? Is it a? Is it an,
2: an an older wolf? Why doesn't it have teeth? <laughs> What's like going on? a wolf mask. <laughs> yeah, it was a, is it?
0: Focus group like the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. It had human teeth at yeah. first and then they switched them out for nothing. Has teeth.
3: anyone seen the Wes Anderson Fantastic Mr. Fox of course film? We have, of it course. looks like one
2: of the.
0: You mean Foxes as opposed
3: to the other of series film. of Fantastic Mr. Fox films? Yeah. Is there not another Fantastic Mr. Fox film?
0: I feel there must be. There must be an animated one or something. Roald Dahl's estate has made more than one movie of that, surely. Surely. Jolly. You would think, Charlie. You'd think. All right, guys. Excellent uh, listener questioning, Taylor Rockwell. I appreciate you and your uh, picks. Uh, I appreciate you taking the uh, the last leg there and having some of your picks taken out. It's all good. Uh, I am still concerned that Roma will be gumming people to death in Serie A
2: next season, but uh, until then, I've enjoyed mm. this one very much, and I look forward to our tournament of crests.
0: Maybe it's because they're going to suck, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Heyo, Joe Lowry. <laughs> thank you very much, sir.
1: Right back at you, Ryan.
0: And Graham Robin, thanking you, boss. Thank thank you, Ryan Bailey. And thank you, listener. Most of all, we'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now,
1: bye. <laughs>